phrase, the wrong shall fail and the right will prevail. You can be seated this morning. If anyone needs a handout for the sermon, anybody need a copy? We'll get that to you, Rebecca there, and that'll be good. Isaiah chapter number 53, our final sermon here in the series on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 this morning, and uh, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Some of you, that's more Bible than you read all week long, but that's good for you. No, I'm just teasing, but, well, hopefully I'm not teasing, but hopefully I am teasing. That's not true for you that you read some Bible this week. I remember each year, one of my mom's favorite things at Christmas time to do was to set up her nativity scene. And uh, some of you in the room might think that a nativity scene's a graven image, and if that's you, God help you, and I hope you get better. And uh, it's not a graven image, unless you bow to it. If you bow to your nativity scene, then you might want to stop doing that. But um, it was one of my mom's favorite things to put out. We have, a li- we have a living room and a family room. Back when I was younger, in the living room is where the nativity scene would always be set up because there was less, there was more of her breakables in there, and we didn't play as much in that room. And so every year, she would get out her nativity scene, and she always started putting this little thing right in the center. And I was young, and I remember thinking, why are you putting this little thing? And then she'd put up the whole rest. You see these angels, you see shepherds, you see Mary and Joseph. You see everything else, but she always started with this little thing in the middle. It was the manger and Jesus. And I asked her one day, I said, Mom, why why do you start with the smallest thing? She said, well, a couple reasons. One of the reasons is that the whole story centers around Jesus, so you put him first and you put everything else around him. Oh, that's pretty good. And then she said, Christmas is all about him, so it's good that he's at the center of it. And that stuck with me. Remember a few, well, several years ago, it got to the point to where she couldn't set up her nativity scene anymore herself, so I set it up every year. And I always start with the manger right in the middle because Christmas is all about Jesus, and everything centers on him. That's how the Christian life should be lived, with Jesus at the center of everything. This time of year, be it this year with everything going on in our world, everything else, you know. I heard yesterday that Dr. Fauci got to go up to the North Pole and he vaccinated Santa Claus so he could still deliver his presents and everything. Our world's so retarded on certain things and just ridiculous on things. Completely ridiculous. And I shouldn't have used that word. That word's not a good word to use, but it's just ridiculous. Our world's gone stupid, gone mad. It's all about Jesus Christ, and Christian, don't ever lose sight of that. And even in the midst of our world, as crazy as it might be, and everyone's so focused on certain things, our focus 24-7, 365 days a year, and 366 on leap year, should be centered on Jesus. That's our life. He is our life. And don't lose out, don't miss out on that. Don't let this world scare you from it. I would rather serve Jesus than anything else in life. And if this world doesn't see it, let them not. They're not going to see it. They don't understand. I don't expect them to. I don't expect our governor to understand. I don't expect a lot of people to understand. Now, if they're saved and they don't understand, then they need to just get right with God. But this world will never understand. Christmas is about Jesus. But every other day of the year is too. We look at Christmas because it's when the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. 
sermon this morning, I've never preached the Sunday before Christmas. Never touched this passage before. This passage would be one that you'd more expect me to preach near Easter or Resurrection Day. That would be the time you would expect me to preach this message. But I believe it's very important. I want you to see some things today out of Isaiah chapter number 53. So if you take your Bibles with me, we're going to turn there and we're going to look at this passage here in just a moment. The first week of our series, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and we saw that how Jesus lights the way for those in darkness. And it talked about Naphtali and Zebulun and how there would be a light that would shine. That light was Jesus Christ, that he would come. Second week, we looked at a few verses down from there, and we saw the unique name of Jesus. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He has a unique name, and no one has a name like him. Last week, we looked in chapter number 7, and God told Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. You've been wicked. You've done awful things. There's going to be a punishment that comes, but I'll give you a sign of my promise. And Ahaz says, I want nothing to do with your sign. God says, okay, Ahaz, you don't want it. The rest of Judah, the rest of Israel, I'm giving you a sign. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. God's promise would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He'd be virgin born. And today we look at chapter 53, and we see the fact that Jesus took our place. Isaiah 53 is an amazing passage of Scripture. One commentator referred to it this way, the text upon which the rest of the Bible is a sermon. And it really is the premier passage on Bible prophecy. And Isaiah 53 is quoted 41 times in the New Testament. It's amazing to me that the Jews do not understand this passage. You ask a rabbi about Isaiah 53. And what they say is this is referring to Israel and what Israel went through. And may I just say that you got rocks in your head if that's how you view this passage of Scripture. Because there is no doubt in my mind, and it's obvious from the rest of the Bible, that this passage is referring to Jesus Christ and what he was going to do on the cross for the sins of mankind. We're going to read this passage this morning. We're going to dive right in. The Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, you see a lot of times where you see all these beautiful pictures of Jesus, this real handsome, good-looking guy. The Bible says right here he was just average. There's nothing special about his looks or anything else. And in fact, we know from the New Testament he blended into crowds very easily. So a lot of the pictures you see of people depicting Jesus is far from the truth. Look at verse number 3. He, Jesus, is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, 
And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before our shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Was he stricken? And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have this morning. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this passage. And I pray all that's said and done will bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 700 years before Christ was born, this passage was written. It goes into great detail to describe every detail of Jesus' life. Verse 1 through verse number 4 talk about his life here on earth. Verse 5 through 8 talk about his death on the cross. Verse number 9 talks about his burial. And then verse 10 through 12 talks about the exaltation of Christ. And you see everything about Christ found in this one chapter, chapter 53. If I were to sum up this chapter in one word, it would be the word substitution. In another's place. That's what this passage is all about. If I were to give you a summary of my sermon this morning, it would be this. Because of grace, Jesus was born to die in our place. Because of grace, Jesus was born to die in our place. Let's look back at verse 4 through 6 again. The Bible says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we look at this passage of Scripture, there are three things, three reasons that Jesus came. Number one this morning is Jesus came to take our pain. Jesus came to take our pain. The Bible says, surely, which has the idea of something coming unexpectedly. That word surely could also be translated truly, which means there's an amazing truth about to be given in this passage here. And here it is. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, which literally means that Jesus what he did for us is he came to carry our deepest sorrows and our suffering that we go through. Surely he has bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Reminds me of a song in our hymn book, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. That's why he came. He came to take 
our pain. He came to take our sorrow, our suffering that we go through. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 2, verse number 18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He is able to take your burdens. He came, and as the Bible says here, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He came to take our pain. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Not only did he come, number one, to take our pain, but number two, he came to take our punishment. Jesus came to take our punishment. He, has bo- he, has, he was born to bear our sorrows. He also came to be our sin bearer. Verse number five tells us, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The flesh of Jesus was pierced on the cross for me. The crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and his feet, the the spear piercing his side, he went through all of that for my transgression. On top of that, the Bible says he was bruised. The word bruised means crushed. He was crushed for my sin, my iniquity, the Bible says. Jesus came to take our punishment. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We look at that passage and the punishment that you and I deserved was placed on Jesus Christ in our place. The Bible tells us in verse number 10 of the passage we're reading this morning, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crush his own son. Why? Because of our sin. The Bible says he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Christmas is important, but may I just remind you this morning, it leads to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is the whole point of why he came. You see, if Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem, he couldn't have been crucified on Calvary. One pastor put it like this, Here's a side to the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day stagger up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns upon it. That tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. He was born to die. On top of this, you just think about the pain of the crucifixion. You think about that. But think about the fact that God became sin for us. The Bible tells us, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God in Him. Not only did He suffer on the cross, but he had the weight of all the sin of all mankind on his shoulders. 
when you consider Christmas, remember Christ came in order to die for your sins. His substitutionary death on the cross paid or fully satisfied God's holy and righteous wrath. Jesus took our pain and punishment in order to give us peace. You see, this morning, because of grace, Jesus was born to die in our place. Number three, Jesus came to take our place. Look at verse number six and what it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us. We're compared to sheep here. That's not a compliment but it is definitely the truth. Probably one of the dumbest animals are sheep. And I think it's very fitting for us all to be called sheep as we wander about very stupidly on our own. I said that word a lot today. i got to stop saying that. It's supposed to be a Christmas message day, right? And, uh, but that's the truth. You notice the fact that we all have gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. Bible tells in Psalm 119, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. The Bible says that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word laid means to cause, to strike with great force, to punish by violence. Think about it this way. The strong arm of God came down on Jesus with great force, as he judged Jesus for all of our sin. The iniquity of us all fell on our substitute. Substitution is a major theme of this passage, but substitution is a major theme throughout the entire Bible. We go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. What is the first thing they do? They sew fig leaves together and make themselves clothes. The first humanistic thing that happened. Man tried to fix man's problems. Mankind's been trying to do that ever since. Humanity has a big problem. Humanity tries to fix itself. Humanity cannot fix itself. Humanity needs God, needs a substitute. In their humanity, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves. It wasn't good enough. What did God do? He sacrificed an animal and put skins on them to wear. The blood of that animal was a payment for the sin of Adam and Eve. We see throughout the Old Testament, and we think of the Passover, is a great example of this. The children of Israel were in Egypt. The last plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn. The death angel was going to come. And there was only one way the death angel wouldn't visit your household. You would have to take the blood of a spotless animal, put it across the top of the door and down the two sides. And the Bible says that the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that animal's life was given as a substitute so that that family could live. There was a sacrifice made the Day of Atonement. The high priest would take an animal and sacrifice it for the sins of the people for the year. 
And every year, he would be cleansed, cleanse himself. He would go and he would sacrifice that animal and just keep passing the sin along. One problem with all that, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, and uh, chapter 10, verse number 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It's not possible. All it did was pass it on and pass it on and pass it on, which meant there had to be a perfect sacrifice to pay for it. And that's why John the Baptist declared about Jesus, he said the fact that, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus was the substitute. He was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb that was needed for you and I. Think about it this way. The innocent was punished as if guilty, that the guilty might be rewarded as if innocent. You and I truly deserve the penalty and the punishment, but God poured out the penalty and punishment against sin on his own son for us. In this passage of Isaiah 53, there's a progression that takes place. This progression is how we get saved. We see this. You'll notice in these verses in this chapter, the progression starts with we. You'll notice the words we or are or us nine times, or sorry, ten times in this passage. You see in the verse that we read, surely that bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him. It all starts, the progression begins with we, are, us. And it leads to me individually. If you look at verse number six, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Until you move the we to me, we don't realize what we've done. It's easy to say that we're all sinners. It's easy to say that Jesus died for sin. It's not so easy to look yourself in the mirror and say Jesus had to die because of my sin. You see, Isaiah goes from talking about everyone, we all, to everyone. He brings it down to the individual. It starts with we, goes to me, and it leads to he, or him, or God, or Lord. It's mentioned nine times in this passage. Jesus took my place as my substitute and made payment for my sins. He carried all my griefs, every one of my transgressions, and all of my iniquity. My sin struck the substitute. I deserved death, but he died so that I could live. You'll notice that in verse number five. Why was he wounded? For our transgression. Why was he bruised? For our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You see what the progression is. It goes from we to me to him to being free. So what do you mean by being free? When I move from we to me and then to him, I can be free. He paid the price. I receive peace and pardon, forgiveness and freedom from 
Christ. That's how it works. Because of grace, Jesus was born to die in our place. The whole reason He came. And truly the meaning of Christmas is much more than just a baby being born in a manger. It's the fact that the Son of God came to die for the sins of mankind. We talk about in our world today, vaccines, vaccines. And um, I saw one vaccine they did the other day. It was just a photo prop. They didn't even put the, they just put, stuck the needle in the person's arm. And they didn't even put a vaccine in the person. Pretty interesting. And uh, that was just a photo prop. Another one I saw was uh, they did Nancy Pelosi. But if you look real close at the end of the needle, there's the orange thing at the end of it. I don't even think it went into her arm. You say, Pastor, are you a conspiracy guy? I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm just saying. And then you say, well, Pastor, should I take the vaccine? You and God talk about it, and you figure it out for yourself. But the reason why they take a long time to get vaccines developed is because they get to see the after effects. And when you don't have time to see the after effects, you could be drooling and barking like a dog next month after you get your vaccine. And they didn't know that was a side effect, so they didn't have long enough for that to be given. And so say, is it the, don't, I, it's not going to be the mark of the beast. I think you're all going to be okay in that realm. But you, we could see where it ends up being that you can't do this or that if you don't have it. What does it, it ushers in the way to have the mark of the beast. But as long as we Christians are here, the mark of the beast, you, as a Christian, you're saved, always saved. You're not going to take the mark of the beast. Because if you take that, you're not saved. Unless you can lose your salvation, which, go into that. I don't even know how I got into all that. I didn't even talk about this last service. Now I'm talking about it today. And so... But Jesus, he came to die. He's 100% effective for everyone. If you come to him and trust him, all your sins are washed away. Each and every one of them. There are several symbols in his birth that represent the fact that he would die. And I just want to give those to you and then I'll close with the story this morning. But the angels appeared to the shepherds to announce his birth. And the angels also appeared in the garden to announce his resurrection. Think about the fact that um, Jesus, you know, we look at the manger looks so cute. And, oh, it's such a nice place where Jesus was born. It's probably a cave. It's a cave. Jesus was likely born in a cave. And when he died, he was put in a cave, cut out of stone. Um, the baby... Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes, they're not like what you, oh, that's a cute little baby outfit for Jesus. Swaddling clothes are what you would wrap a dead body in. And when Jesus died, in Mark 15, 46, they wrapped his body in the same things they wrapped him in as a baby. It symbolized the fact that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. The, the wise men came, right? Now, how many wise men were there? You all say three, but that's not Bible. The Bible says wise men came. They brought three gifts. So we really don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been more. There could have just been three. There could have just been two, technically. And, uh, and then we also see how the wise men are in all the nativity scenes and all that. Jesus was in a house when the wise men came. Jesus was probably about one or two years old by the time the wise men got there. So he was a little older. Say, does that matter in the grand scheme of things? No, but 
I like to be biblical, so, you know, people say there are three wise men. I really don't know. But the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One of the gifts that the wise men brought was myrrh. Myrrh is one of the spices that would be used to anoint a dead body. And so that gift symbolized the fact that Jesus was born to die for the sins of mankind. How precious and what a gift that God gave us in his son. John Phillips was a great preacher, a great orator. I have several of his books in my office. He wrote a short story. I want to read that story for you. It's going to take a few minutes. You need to pay attention. But just to get your mind focused on how special it is what Jesus did for us. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown around the splendors and glory of the universe by a senior experienced angel. Might have been Clarence. It's a Wonderful Life. Anyone get that? That's my favorite. Anybody? That's my favorite Christmas movie. How many of you? How many of you have never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Anybody not seen it? Mark Lenny, you haven't seen it? It's one of the best. You gotta, you gotta watch it. It's one of the best Christmas movies. It's, it is the best. There's none that compare. Second would probably be Home Alone one and two, but <laughs> top number one would have to be It's a Wonderful Life. And so, so that's where Clarence came from. But take that out from the story. So a young angel was being shown around the splendors and glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to get a little bored and tired. He had been shown everything, whirling galaxies, blazing suns, infinite distances, and deathly cold um, interstellar space. And to his mind, there seemed to be an awful lot of it all, and he was just kind of getting tired of seeing it all. Finally, the young angel was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call the sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It seemed as dull and as, dirt, as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. The senior angel said, I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger to that dirty-looking little ball. The little angel said, well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me. What's so special about that one? The senior angel said, that's the visited planet. Visited, asked the little angel. You don't mean visited by God, do you? Yes, indeed I do, the senior angel said. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant, and not perhaps overclean, has been visited by our young Prince of Glory. And at these words, he bowed his head reverently. The little angel said, but how? Do you mean that our great and glorious Prince, with all these wonders and splendors of his creation, and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do such a thing like that? senior angel said, it isn't for us to question his wives, except that I must point out to you that he is not impressed by size and numbers, as you seem to be, but that he really went, I know, 
And all of us in heaven who know anything know that. As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose could he have visited them? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. The little angel said, do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? The senior angel said, I do. And I don't think he would like for you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond comprehension. Senior angel said, close your eyes for a moment, and we'll go back in what they call time. When the little angel's eyes were closed, the two of them moved nearer to the spinning ball. It stopped its spinning, spun backwards quite fast for a while, and then slowly resumed its usual rotation. Senior angel said, now look. As the little angel did, as he was told, there appeared here and there on the dull surface of the globe little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a time. The little angel said, well, what am I seeing now? The senior angel said, you're watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago. Every flash and glow of light that you see is something of the Father's knowledge and wisdom breaking into the minds and hearts of people who live upon the earth. Not many people you see can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he is speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. The little angel said, why are they all so blind and deaf and stupid? The senior angel said, it's not for us to judge them. We who live in the splendor have no idea what it is like to live in the dark. We hear the music and the voice like the sound of many waters every day of our lives. But to them, well, there's much darkness and much noise and much distraction upon the earth. Only a few who are quiet and humble and, hear, and wise hear his voice. But watch, for in a moment you will see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling around the sun. And then, quite suddenly, in the upper half of the globe, there appeared a light. Tiny, but so bright in its immensity that both angels hid their eyes. The little angel in a low tone of voice said, I think I can guess. That was the visit, wasn't it? The senior angel said, yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived among them. But in a moment, and you will be able to tell that even with your eyes closed, the light will go out. The little angel, but why? Could he not bear their darkness and stupidity? Did he have to return here? The senior angel with a stern voice said, no, it wasn't that. They failed to recognize him for who he was. Or at least only a handful knew him. For the most part, they preferred their darkness to his light. And in the end, they killed him. The little angel said, the fools, the crazy fools, they don't deserve God. The senior angel said, neither you nor I nor any other angel knows why they were so foolish and so wicked. Nor can we say what they deserve or don't deserve. But the fact remains they killed our Prince of Glory while he was man amongst them. 
The little angel said, and that, I suppose, was the end. I see the whole earth has gone black and dark. All right, I won't judge them, but surely that is all that they could expect. The senior angel said, wait, we're still far from the end of the story of the visited planet. Watch now, but be ready to cover your eyes again. In utter blackness, the earth turned around three times. Then there blazed with unbearable radiance a point of light. The little angel shielding his eyes said, what's happening now? The senior angel said, they killed him all right, but he conquered death. The thing that most of them dread and fear all of their lives, he broke and conquered. He rose again, and a few of them saw him, and from then on became his utterly devoted slaves. The little angel said, well, thank God for that. The senior angel said, amen, open your eyes now. The dazzling light has gone. The prince has returned to his home of light, but watch the earth now. And as they looked in place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then as the earth turned many times, little points of light spread out. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the lights burned steadily. And as they continued to watch in many parts of the globe, there was a glow over many areas. Senior angel said, you see what is happening? The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow, and now lights begin to shine all over the earth. The little angel impatiently said, yes, yes, but how does it end? With the little lights joining up with each other, will it all be light as it is in heaven? The senior angel shaking his head, we simply do not know. It is in the Father's hands. Sometimes it is agony to watch, and sometimes it is joy unspeakable. The end is not yet, but now I am sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He has visited it. He is working out his plan upon it. The little angel said, yes, I see. Though I don't understand, I shall never forget that this is the visited planet. He came. Of all the places he could have came, he came here. You see, God's still working today, right here, right now. Because of God's grace, Jesus was born to die in our place. Jesus came to take our pain. He came to take our punishment, and he came to take our place. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning in your word, and we thank you for this passage of Scripture.